chapter 6, verses 45 to 52. I'll read it if you can follow along. Jesus walks on the water. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go after him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for all that you have done, and I pray for this word specifically, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive it. I pray that even in this uh, turbulent time that we would really come to understand you better, that even in the midst of all the storms and circumstances of our lives, that you have called us to trust in you. That in this passage, we're going to be able to see that through whatever we're going through, you are the Lord of it that you are the God of the storm, that you are the God of our lives, and that we can trust completely in you. And so we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Uh, today's uh, sermon title is called Jesus in the Storm. For the past few weeks now, we've been going into a sermon series, uh, looking into the life of Jesus. And this week in particular, as I was preparing for what exactly to speak upon, um, I think it came to my attention more than ever that our nation, that our country, that our church, and that us as Christians are being reminded to trust in God ever more so. Now the reason I'm saying that is because this past Monday, there's something that happened that I can't just let slip by. Because this past Monday, as, as maybe some of you may know, in Minnesota, 40, uh, Minneapolis, a 46-year-old man, uh, African-American man named George Floyd, died after being handcuffed and pinned to the ground by a white police officer. Now, this one event where a bystander was filming where George Floyd said again and again, I can't breathe, where he was not necessarily resisting arrest, has led to protests all over the nation. And it has once again exposed the injustice and has exposed the racism that is so prevalent in this land. You see, this isn't a one-time event. This isn't a one-time you see, George Floyd, he joins Eric Gardner, he joins Tamir Rice, he joins Trayvon Martin, and so many others who in recent years have been killed for the color of their skin by those who are meant to be protecting them. 
And church, I think you can look in the news, you can look on CNN, you can look on anywhere, and you can see that this nation is reeling from this. That people are so confused and so upset, and so many of these protests have become violent, and things are beginning to escalate even more. You see, people are looking for answers. And church, I just want to remind you, I want to remind us of where we stand, of where we stand as Christians, as people who believe in the Bible, as, as people who, who trust in Jesus Christ. And it's that racism is unbiblical, and it's the complete opposite of Christianity. It's because the issue of racism and injustice is talked about so clearly as the opposite of the fundamental theological truth of the Bible. Because in Genesis 1, it says that God has made every single man, woman, and child in his image. That there is no one, regardless of background, regardless of skin color, regardless of any other thing that separates them from that image. That we are all made in his image. In Galatians 3, Paul says, and he shouts this, that there is no Jew or Greek, that there is no slave or free, that there is no male or female, that there is no black or white, that there is no difference between us who are under the blood of Jesus Christ. Racism is just never the answer, and it is the complete opposite of what Christians must stand for. And especially during this time, when a lot of churches can be unsure of what to say, of where to go, we must take a stand for this. We are not insulated from this. We are not monks in a monastery. We are put in the world to be the salt and light of the world. And this is where we can truly take a stand and take action, church. One of the biggest things that we can do is to pray. One of the most powerful tools that we have more than anyone else in this world is to pray to the Lord for a changing and renewal of not only our hearts, but the hearts of those who are lost. You see, church, the, the history of America is marred with racism. And it has become apparent that reconciliation and healing for this nation is still a ways away. And people, they are looking for answers to this one question, which is why is there so much injustice? That after all of this time, that after everything that we have gone through, that through the history of America, yet why is there still so much injustice? And for me, this was really heavy upon my heart, not only as I was studying in Mark, not only as I was preparing for the sermon, but as I was doing my Bible study and my QT in the book of Job. Because in Job, for 35 chapters, God, he asked one question. He says, why is there injustice? Job asks, why is there so much pain? And you see, at the very end, God gives an answer, but it's not an answer to the question that Job gives. 
It's strange because all this time you would think that God would give the final solution to all that Job has been asking of why is there suffering, of why is there injustice, and yet God never does that. Instead, all he says at the very end is, look, I am going to be with you through all of it. And at the end it says that Job is satisfied. See, church, the Bible says that people are broken, that lives are broken, that this nation is broken, that families are broken. And no matter how hard we may try, nothing can bridge that gap and bring complete reconciliation or bring complete healing. We can strive all we want and do everything that we possibly can, but there is always going to be some type of evil in this world. But when you read the Gospels, when you read the Bible, it talks about this one person who has come to deal with the fundamental brokenness of this world. It talks about this one person who was perfect, who came to die on the cross and to rise again through the tomb so that our lives could be reconciled once again. And the thing is, church, we can look at a thousand different places for answers. But the answer is already in the Bible. It's that Jesus is the only one who can bring true and everlasting healing in this world. For us, we're going to strive so hard to bring some type of healing. We're going to strive so hard to bring some type of reconciliation, but it's never going to be enough because we are never enough on our own. The only one who can do that, the only one who can bring that, is our God. And that's why, church, we need to focus our eyes on God. And this is why I wanted to remind us during this time, as we continue to read the news, as we continue to see all that's going on in the midst of COVID, in the midst of George Floyd, in the midst of all of these different things, that our eyes more than ever before need to be focused on God. Because when our eyes are focused upon our circumstances, what ends up happening is that we paint and we look at, the, we look at God through the view and through the lens of our circumstances. And so we see evil in this world, and so we look at God and we say, God, you must be evil. We look at how much injustice and how much racism and how much pain is in this world, and so we immediately look to God and we say, God, that must be who you are. You must be a God of injustice. That you must be a God who enjoys these types of things. And yet what our focus needs to be as a church is to consistently and constantly look upon who God is, upon his character and what he's done and upon his life. And the more we focus upon that, the more we're going to see the circumstances through the lens of God. And we're going to say, look, look, these circumstances are bad, of course. He doesn't make light of those circumstances. But he promises that he will be, that he will be with you through all of it. And that's why for us, we're going to continue looking in the life of Jesus. Man, that's why I'm so thankful that even through this time, as 
as I was thinking about what exactly to speak on that God pressed this upon my heart because I think more than ever, we do need to look upon the only one who can actually bring us true healing. This passage here is one of the most famous miracles in the Bible. It is Jesus walking on water in the middle of the storm. And there's, there's just two things that I want to really emphasize to you. There's two things that I believe that God has really shown me to show you. And it's the first one is that Jesus is more powerful than the storm. And secondly, is that Jesus is God. Very simple. You see, verse 48 says this, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. In the Greek, you see, there are a lot of different words that you could use for the verb walk. It could be a, a steady kind of methodical walking. It could be a light type of walking. It could be, there's a lot of different ways that you could say it. And yet here, Mark uses a very specific word. Because when we think of Jesus walking in the storm, we think that it would make sense for Jesus to be a little bit unsure of where he's going. We can think that maybe the wind and the waves would be a little bit harsh and that for him he would need to find his footing a little bit more. But here it says that Jesus was not just walking on the water, he was strolling. In other words, this word that Mark uses is that he was almost sightseeing through the water. That he was taking his time as he was going one step at a time. You see, church, storms, especially in the water, are the most chaotic and destructive powers on earth. You can drop a missile in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of a hurricane, and it will do nothing to stop it. Even today, with all of the technological advances that we have to our disposal, when the weather says that a hurricane is coming, there are two things you can do. Either you can barricade yourself and just try and hope that it's not as bad as it seems, or you can run away as fast as you can. That is the power of a storm. And yet, we see two times that Jesus is at sea in the middle of a storm. The first time, he is simply sleeping through it. He is woken up by his terrified disciples. He gets up, looks at the storm, speaks one word, and it instantly calms. This time, he is casually strolling through the eye of the storm. And it seems like almost that he's walking on a sunny day. You see, church, it's to show us one very important thing, that not only does Jesus have absolute power over the storm, but that the storm has no power over him. The Bible says that storms are inevitable for everyone. That everything may be going well, but all of a sudden, a storm may come and take away everything that you had control over. 
It may, may come to take away all of the success that you had built, to take away the health that you had built up, to take away everything that you had held dear to yourself. But church, it may hurt, but realize that the storm is meant to do only one thing, to fix our eyes upon Jesus. If there was no storm, then the disciples would not have seen Jesus walk through it. If there was no storm, then the disciples would not have realized that Jesus was more powerful than it. This passage, it doesn't tell us how deep the waters are, and it doesn't care about how strong the winds may be. All it says is that Jesus is a match for it. He has absolute and complete power over the storms of your life. And these storms have no power over him. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus shows up, he doesn't immediately comfort the disciples. It's interesting because we can kind of gloss over this, but they were worried and afraid before. But when it says that they saw him, they became more worried and more afraid. You see, nothing in this scenario when Jesus came was immediately resolved. Verse 49 and 50, let me read it to you. It says, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Now, when this is translated into English, take heart, it is I, it's actually worded a bit different than the original language. And the reason they changed it, and you can give a little bit of a, you know, a, a pass to the translators, is because the grammar is a little strange. But allow me to read to you exactly how Jesus would have said it in the original language. You see, he says, take heart, I am. Do not be afraid. Jesus doesn't say, look, hey, it's me. He doesn't say, hey, hey, look at me. He says, it's going to be okay, I am. Now, theologians, they all agree on one thing, that when Jesus says, I am, He's saying, I always am. Because he is just echoing one thing that the Bible says, and that the Bible says that Jesus is always the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. That he was here before the storms, that he is here in the middle of your storms, and that he will be here long after the storms as well. And the reason why the disciples are afraid that they're, that they're so afraid even with Jesus is because Jesus is not diminishing the storm. He is proclaiming that he is God even in the midst of the storm. Church, one thing that we tend to do, one thing that society tends to do is minimalize and trivialize pain and suffering. And what they'll end up saying is, look, look, the, the pain that you're going through in light, of, in light of this is not that big of a deal. And it becomes almost a defense mechanism. Hey, cancer is not that big. It's going to be okay. Hey, racism is only a couple people. 
uh, that, that's going to be, it's only, we can kind of push that under the rug. But you see, in the Bible, it never does that. Jesus has never once said that evil is not that big of a deal. He's never once tried to minimize your suffering or the pain that is going through anyone's life. What he simply says is that there is a storm in your life and it is going to be bad and it may be the worst storm that you have ever experienced, but guess what? I am still God over it. He never minimalizes the pain that you're going through. He only maximizes himself. Because in whatever, whatever difficulty you're going through, whatever pain and suffering that you have experienced, God is still God over that. And he is proclaiming to you, he is proclaiming to me, he is proclaiming to this church that no matter what happens, that whatever trial, confusion, or hurt you are going through, that he was here before that, that he is next to you within that, and that he will be here long after that as well. He is the God of forever. He is the God of I am. And so he, as he walks in the water, as he walks in the middle of the storm, he says that to you as well. He says, take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. This is what Jesus is showing the disciples. Not that the storms will never come, but that even within that, that he is God over the storms. You see, I, I just want us to linger on this a little bit because it's so important for us to see, I think, the beginning of this passage. Because verse 45 says, immediately Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. Jesus told his disciples to get into the boat and go to the other side. Jesus sent the disciples on the boat knowing full well that a storm was going to come. And not only that, it was because the disciples obeyed the words of Jesus that they were led directly into the storm. Storms are inevitable for us. And church, many times it will be because of our obedience that storms will come into our lives. Storms are not meant for a certain group of people. Storms are not meant for a certain situation. Storms will encompass every one of us, and it is meant to do one thing, to bring us closer to him. Look, many times he will not give us the explanation or the reason why. All he will do is give us that one assurance that he will be with us through it all. And I think there's this beautiful thing that uh, in Mark here that says, at the end of verse 48, he says that he's, Jesus saw these uh, disciples making headway painfully. And he was going towards them. And at the end of 48, it says a strange verse. It says a strange sentence. He meant to pass by them. A lot of us can misinterpret what that means. But what that really means when he says he meant to pass by them was that he desired to come alongside them. That he saw what the disciples were going through. He saw what he had called them into. And so in that moment, he had 
promised himself that he had called them to be next to them. He was going to pass alongside them. You know, there's this really famous place in the Old Testament where God uses these same words of I am. It's in Exodus, you see, where Moses confronts the burning bush. And the moment that God tells Moses, I am who I am, Moses is awestruck. And he cannot come closer to God's presence. In fact, what we see again and again in the Old Testament is that the more that God reveals more of himself, the moment that God tells the people who he is, that they must turn away because he is too holy and they are too sinful. That every time he says, I am who I am, that every time he reveals that he is Lord, that the people have to turn away and run away. But here in this passage, you see, Jesus, he comes to the disciples in the middle of the storm. He says, take heart, I am. And it says here that he walks up to them and gets into the boat. For so long, church, we could never approach God because of our sin and his holiness. But the story of the gospel is this, that Jesus Christ, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died a sinner's death so that for us we could have a relationship with him. And so that when he does reveal a part of who he is, is that when he speaks to us and shows us that he is beside us, we don't have to run away. It's not that we have to turn away. It's that we can say, yes, God, I want a closer relationship with you. We can say, yes, God, I want to know more of who you are. It's that we can, pry, we can pray out to him like a son would cry out to his father. We have the relationship that is so intimate there that was never formed before simply because of what Jesus did for us. And that no matter what storm that you are going through, no matter what difficulty you are experiencing, realize that through it all, Jesus is able to come before you and say, look, I may not give you the exact answers that you are looking for, but I'm going to give you the most important answer. And it's that through this, I will be with you. And that through it all, I am Lord over this storm. And that through it all, more than anything else, I am God over this world. So trust in him. Rely upon what he has done for you. What he has done for us. Because as he calls that out on us, as he says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. He walks closer to us, walks into the boat. And shares a relationship with us. How beautiful, how wonderful is our God. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for all that you have done. And we pray at this time.